Good morning, Village Church. Good to see you this morning. Brent talked a lot about me in, the, in his time up here. That was interesting. I think I'm dying, just so you know. <laughs> Thanks, Brent. Appreciate that. Uh, yes, I am the lead pastor here at Village Church East, and it's my privilege to welcome you here this morning. We're excited about uh, a couple of things this morning. Number one, Brent already mentioned that uh, our ladies are, several of our ladies, uh, eight of them actually, are at the retreat, and uh, we're just praying that God gives them refreshment and encouragement. Uh, and if you missed out and you're a lady here, then uh, you can always jump in next year. You've got to wait a whole 12 months, but uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, from what I hear, I've never been there, but uh, I've heard it's a lot of fun, and if you want to jump in, we offer these kinds of things every once in a while, including drop-ins uh, that we do for our ladies every month. It gives you an opportunity to connect, and it's, uh, it's one of the ways that we can get to know one another a little bit more. Well, I am, uh, I'm excited not only because uh, our ladies are getting refreshed this week, but also because this brings us to our last chapter in the book of Genesis. Genesis has 50 chapters. That's easy to remember, right? 50 chapters, and uh, we started studying this book 12 years ago, and now we're finally getting to the end of it. It seems like that, doesn't it? Actually, we started in January of 2018, so it's been over a year and a half that we've been working through. Now, we've taken some detours. We've done some studies in, uh, in, in doctrines, and we did Advent season. We did some, some different detours. Uh, but the, the journey through Genesis actually has been a real big privilege for me uh, so I hope it's been exciting for you as well. Uh, there's so much in this book to glean from, and Genesis 50 is like the climax of the book, and so you've picked a good Sunday uh, to be here um, because this is, this is the climactic moment for Joseph and the climactic moment for the entire book. Genesis covers almost 2,000 years, actually over 2,000 years of human history. How many people knew that? Uh, interesting. The first 11 chapters covers over 2,000 years alone. That's a lot of time. Genesis 1 to 11 covers over 2,000 years. Genesis 12 to 36 deals with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that deals with 24 chapters in Genesis and a period of 133 years. Abraham alone, who's the father of the nation of Israel, Abraham alone takes up 13 chapters. But Joseph covers 13 chapters all by himself. And only 93 years. When you look at it that way, it's kind of interesting to see the attention that God gives to this one individual, this character, Joseph. And the climax to the book we find, as Genesis is written as a book, the climax to the book is in this chapter. And the climax to the book is the climax also in Joseph's life. This book is meant to be written as a book, as a chapter 1 to chapter 50, just like any book that you would read at home. Genesis is a book. It's meant to have a beginning, it's meant to have a middle, it's meant to have an end, and it's meant to take you through the whole story. So when you read the book of Genesis, by the time you get to the end, just like any book that you would read at home, it's kind of hard to put it down at the last chapter, right? I mean, who would close the book and say, okay, I'm done with it. If it has 50 chapters and you finish chapter 48 and you say, that's enough for me. I don't know about you, but I'm going to stick it through and find out what happens in the last chapter. Same thing in the book of Genesis. Genesis 50 is the climax, the ending, the whole story of Genesis and, uh, um, incorporated in Joseph's life. And it's meant to help us reflect on our own life. Get this, like Joseph's life, all life's chaos comes rolling up against God's perceived authority. This is the story of Genesis, and this is the story of Joseph. God's plan seems to take a detour against the obstinance of human rebellion. That's the story of Genesis, and that's the story of Joseph. People act poorly. It looks like all is lost at times. And the good guys don't always have it easy. Story of Genesis, story of Joseph. But in the end, God wins. Story of Genesis, story of Joseph. Like this chapter, this chapter, chapter 50, we actually find out that God actually was in complete control the entire time. 
story of Genesis, story of Joseph. You ready for the last chapter? It's fun. Let's read the last verse of the chapter before this, Genesis 49, 33. This sets us up for what we're about to read in Genesis 50. When Jacob, that's Joseph's dad, finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. I love how that's written there. Jacob dies and he draws his feet up into his bed and he goes to be with his people. I hope all of us get to see that in our own lives someday, don't you? God's promise is to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And death catches us all, but if you belong to the Lord someday when that day comes, you will not only exit this life, but you will be gathered to your people. Wouldn't that be cool? I love it. This prepares us for the big question in the last chapter of Genesis, and that is this. Now that dad is dead, what will Joseph do? The question is, was Joseph just being nice because his dad was still around? Was Joseph just being kind to the brothers because he didn't want to break his dad's heart? Now that dad is gone, mom is gone, there's no responsibilities. Joseph can literally do anything he wants to do and there's no repercussions, and his dad will never know. What will Joseph do? But here's the thing. It's not a question for Joseph. It's a question for Joseph's brothers. They are thinking to themselves, maybe Joseph has only been nice to us because dad's been around. You can't identify with that at all, can you? For those of you that have children, for those of you that remember when you were children, right? Be good as long as the parents are home. But when they're gone, then you can do whatever you want. Or when you get out of the house, your parents aren't around, you can be your own person, right? Well, dad is gone now. And the question is not in Joseph's mind, what will he do? Because I think we all know Joseph by now. The question is in the brothers' minds. What will our brother do? now that dad's not around, to hold him accountable. So that takes us to Genesis 50. And we're going to start reading in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So, these guys knew what they did to Joseph. I need to share this with you. There are 13 chapters, we already discussed this, given to us about Joseph's life. Now, if you read a book with 13 chapters in it, you're thinking to yourself, oh, this, is, this, is a, this is a short book. <laughs> well, for some of you, that may not be the case. Uh, if they don't have pictures, it's a short book, all right? So, so it's a short book, 13 chapters. So you want to keep some of the, the nail-biting stuff, uh, you know, build it up chapter 1, chapter 2, and then, you know, bad things start happening, chapter 3, chapter 4. No, 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 no. In Joseph's life, 13 chapters about Joseph, in the first chapter, Joseph is beaten, he is betrayed, he is sold into slavery, and his brothers walk back with 20 seconds of silver in their pockets, richer because they got rid of their brother. One chapter. The next 12 chapters are about Joseph. But they're not about the good moments, largely, in Joseph's life. Those chapters take up 22 years. He struggles to to survive wherever he's put. He's betrayed by his brothers. They have literally stolen the best years of his life. And for 13 chapters, even though they're all about Joseph, the first chapter, the bottom falls out of Joseph's world. So is it any surprise to anyone that the first thought in the brothers' minds after dad is dead is... What will Joseph do to us? I was putting this message together with Michael last week, uh, Pastor Michael over the Bartlett campus, and we get together and we share our thoughts on the, the uh, exegesis of tearing apart of the scripture and pull out some of these ideas that we want to share with you. But as we were doing this, he came up with an uh, interesting counseling, um, counseling format that many counselors use. I think Brie uses this one as well. It's called sachet. Sachet is an interesting thing because when, you, when somebody comes in for counseling, 
you can identify what emotion they're feeling at the time. So sachet stands for sad, angry, scared, happy, excited, or tender. Somebody comes up to you, you've had these kind of conversations where you get a little in-depth, meaty kind of a conversation, and you start having a conversation with somebody, you can easily identify what kind of emotion they are engaging you with. L let me make it a little more personal. You've had a week. You've had a lot of things happen this week. You've entered through the doors and sat in these chairs, and you are exhibiting one of these characteristics, one of these emotions. You're sad, you're angry, you're scared, you're happy, you're excited, you're tender. Some of, some of you are here leaning heavily on one or two of these things. You engage in difficult or challenging conversations with these kinds of emotions in your hand. And life has a way of bringing highs and lows. So you can switch from moment to moment in your life. Each season of life you approach with a different sachet emotion. Sometimes the way life goes, like a roller coaster. You could switch from one moment to the next. And based on these emotions, sometimes, because these emotions are how we engage one another, sometimes we have a tendency to give more credence to these emotions than we should, and we make bad decisions. So let's do a little project. You're in a season of life. And if I were to ask you, don't answer this question, don't stick your hands up or anything, but if I were to ask you this question, you're sitting in your chair right now, which of these emotions at this moment of time today, this morning, which one of these emotions have you entered through these doors exhibiting more than the others? Back to the text, what emotion would you, would you ascribe to the brothers? Their dad is dead. Joseph is the second most powerful person in the universe at this time. Which emotion would you say these brothers are probably feeling at this point in their lives? What do you think? Probably scared. I would say maybe the S needs to be changed to a T. Shathet. Because they weren't just scared, I think they were terrified. Now keep in mind, I need to also tell you before we jump back into the verse, this is going to get good. These guys have been living with Joseph in Egypt, living off the land, the best of the land, eating the best of the food, surviving the famine that everybody else is having to go through because their brother is the second most important person in the universe. They have been living in Egypt for 17 years. And at the end of 17 years, Jacob gets sick and dies. And they are terrified still of what their brother might do to them. Why do they still have this fear? Joseph has been good to them. He's given them food. He's given them land. He's never said anything that we know of bad to them. He saved them and their families from certain death. They are simply afraid because now one thing has happened. Dad is gone. And they've lived, obviously, with this constant fear for 17 years. How would you like to live with that kind of fear for 17 years? Maybe our brother will change his mind. Don't take Joseph off. Whatever you do, be nice to Joseph. Give him the best gifts, you know. Don't take him off. Now Joseph could do anything he want and no one would judge him for it. There would be no family drama. There was no dad to plea for mercies for the brother, for the brothers any longer. And then we come to this verse that just rocked my world when I read it. Look at verse 16. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, get this, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, quote, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God, your, uh, uh, of, the God of your father. What do you think of the brothers? Let me ask this. Were they lying or telling the truth? Yeah, I don't know. We're not told what Jacob told to them. All we're told is what they said to Joseph after their dad died. What does this tell me about this, the, these guys? It tells me that they're terrified. 
they're afraid that Joseph is finally going to get even with them. And so they come to Joseph and they say, Joseph, in case you're having any, th- any thought in your mind of getting even with us, Dad said you had to be nice to us. <laughs> what kind of an apology is that? Now, please note, in the whole, the whole book, we've never heard these guys apologize for anything. Now, they may have, and we're not told about them, but this is the closest we see to them conjuring up some sort of an apology. Okay, some of you have kids, and all of you have been kids, all right? So, so let's say that your kid, or a kid you know, uh, hurts you. They do something bad to you, right? And then, uh, and then they come back, an hour later, and they said, hey, listen, uh, I know you don't like me because of stuff I did, but Dad said you have to forgive me. What kind of an apology is that? Is it, it does it even rank in the category of being an apology? They don't even acknowledge what they did. They simply said, Dad says you have to forgive us. And how would you feel? if you were the one that has to forgive them. 17 years and this is the best they could do. What took them so long? And, and here it is, fear. Conveniently, they feel convicted enough to apologize when they think Joseph can kill them and there would be no repercussions. Some people are just scoundrels. The world is full of them. And they'll be scoundrels until they die. And you probably know some scoundrels. Scoundrels and children have this in common. They only know how to apologize when they get caught. Joseph has two options here. He has the option of having a hard heart or a soft heart toward his brothers. Can I just ask you, just to probe in your minds a little bit, what is more fun, a hard heart or a soft heart? Come on, what's more fun? Yeah. A hard heart is more fun, isn't it? Sure, it makes you miserable. Sure, there's no, there's no fixing things. But if you have a hard heart, you get to have all these nasty thoughts all the time about the scoundrel that's done you wrong. And hard hearts are fun. Because once you get bored of your own thoughts, you get to talk to other people. And you get to convince them what kind of a scoundrel you've got to deal with. And then they help you with new thoughts about how bad the other person is. It's a lot of fun to have a hard heart. Joseph has two points, uh, two choices. He can have a hard heart or a soft heart. And here is what kills me in the next verse. Verse 17. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. My question is, how in the world did Joseph get to this point? Like, is this some sort of an alien sent from another planet? How is it that Joseph is not filled with vengeance and rage? How is Joseph not mad at God? And here's the thing, there's a secret in Joseph's life that we've been dancing around that we don't get to nail until today. That's why you're here on a good day. We get to see the secret of how Joseph became Joseph a guy I sure would like to be like. Let me read some scripture for you to see if you can pick out how Joseph got tender. Joseph, uh, Genesis 42, 24. He turned away from them and he wept. Genesis 30, uh, 43, 30. Joseph hurried out for his compassion, grew warm for his brother, that's Benjamin, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there, Genesis 45, 2. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians in the next room heard it, and the whole household of Pharaoh heard it, Genesis 45, 14. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, Genesis 45, 15. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them, Genesis 46, 29. He presented himself to uh, he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Genesis 50, verse 1, Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Genesis 50, 17, Joseph wept this verse right now when they spoke to him. Church, did Joseph have a soft heart or a tender heart? There's no mistaking it. This guy's crying all the time. 
And these are not crocodile tears. This is a, these are tears that comes from a change of heart, looking at what God has done and saying, how in the world did God pull this off? And how in the world can God invite me into this play that he's doing where God's people are going to be saved through me? This is a humble heart that has turned into a tenderized heart. The single thought for the day is this, anger hardens, but tenderness transforms. That's the only thing I want you to remember today. Anger hardens, but tenderness transforms. We have to look at this event through the lens of a grown man weeping out of a tenderized heart. Have you ever seen a grown man weep? It makes you want to cry, doesn't it? There's a tenderization in a heart of a man who has grown up. He's, he's in his late 90s at this point, and he is just still weeping about what God is doing. Joseph's heart has been tenderized by God. For the moment these scoundrels showed up, they were talking to a tenderized man. Joseph heart, Joseph's heart has been tenderized by hanging on to a faith in God that tied him to a level in, of trust in God, the likes of which the normal human being cannot even know. And look at what happened to his brothers. When they saw him weeping at their demand for him to forgive them, he immediately cries. And look how they respond. Verse 18, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants with these words they acknowledge the depth of pain they have caused joseph i think this is the apology they may not have said they're sorry they they may not have been sorry i don't know but for these words to come out of these guys mouths is an indication that they recognize the pain that they put joseph through so let's play sachet one more time what is the emotion of the brothers now? What would you say? Sad or tender? I would say one of the two. What made the difference? What made them go from scared to sad or tender? What was it? Joseph's response. Is that amazing? The response of a grown man crying when they demand that that guy forgive them. And they could have been making the whole thing up. That is the moment when they saw Joseph's response that changed their heart. And it was a response to someone who showed them tenderness first. And listen to what Joseph does. It gets so good. Verse 19. And Joseph said to them, church, what does he say? First thing that comes out of Joseph's mouth is, do not fear. Do not fear. For am I in the place of God? He immediately takes out the aspect of fear. He knows they're trembling. He knows they're scared. And instead of standing up there and going, it's about time. <laughs> Come on, milk this sucker, right? These guys have done him wrong. Dad's not around. Let's have some genuineness once from these guys. But he doesn't milk it. Tears flow out of Joseph's eyes. He knows they're scared. And the first thing he gives them is an incredible gift by saying, guys, don't be scared. Take that right off sachet. Don't be scared. He gives them a gift before allowing the conversation to continue. Immediately, he looks at his situation through the eyes of God. And then he says this, this rhetorical question, am I in the place of God? Church, are you in the place of God? <laughs> it's a rhetorical question. The answer to that is, come on, the answer to that is, is anyone in the place of God? No. Joseph is saying, listen guys, I am where God needed me to be. I'm not in his God's, I'm not in, in God's avenue. I, I don't sit with him in his planning center, in his strategy room, and figure out how he should use my life I'm not in that place. My life belongs to him, and he can do whatever he wants with it. That is amazing. Joseph acknowledges, I may not have want, wanted to happen what happened in my life, but God did, obviously. And I'm okay with that. 
I could spend the rest of my life asking God, why would this happen to me? I could drive myself crazy with feelings of revenge and hurt, but I choose to let God stay in his place, and I'll stay in mine. My life is a gift from God, and he can use it however he wants it. (laughs) At this moment, some people demand explanations for why things happen in life. And I want to tell you, God rarely gives you answers as to why things happen in life. Sometimes you don't ever have the answer. Sometimes you do get the answer. But sometimes you never get the answer. And here's the thing. If you're a Christian, people will put you on trial right here. They'll say to you, why can God, why can you say God is good and he lets blank happen? They put you on trial, but they do so by putting God on trial. You see, what they're doing is they're saying, I've been in the strategy room of God. I know what's fair and what's not fair, and this is not fair. So if your God is doing this in his strategy room, your God is wrong. I want anything to do with him. That's a dangerous place to be. Because we need to understand somebody that's doing that is putting themselves in the place of God and taking God and putting them in their place. Listen, my life is from God. My life is God's gift to me. My life belongs to God. My whole goal in life is to sacrifice. I need to do this better. To sacrifice my life so he can use it for whatever he plans to use it for. This is a hard question to answer. Why would God, if a God is good, why would he let this happen to me or this happen to my friends or this happen to people across the world? Why would God do that? And I've got to tell you, there is an answer to that question. But the only people that are ready to hear the answer to that question are people who have had a tenderized heart. People with hard hearts will never be prepared to hear the right answers. You approach God, putting him on trial with a hard heart, whatever answer you get is not going to be satisfactory. But you approach God with a tender heart, and you learn to live with the answers you get, and sometimes with the answers you don't get. Hard hearts are prevented from absorbing and receiving truth. And I want to tell you, this is a difficult message for me to do, because some people who are listening to this, and some of you guys have been through some really tough moments in life. Michael and I did a message on this on January 27, 2019. You can look it up, and if you want to go back and look it up, it's called, Why Does God Allow Pain and Suffering? And we talked a little bit more about this. I don't have time to do that this morning, but I want to leave you hanging. So if you go back and look, uh, look online, you can download this message from January 27, 2019. Ultimately, uh, the bottom line is the only, uh, the only answers that you'll ever get from God can only be received if your heart's been tenderized. Faith gives you the ability to overcome a hard heart. You see, what we need in heartache is not more answers, it's more faith. I'm not going to tell you because you may not like the answer, okay, God, I'm good with that. I'm not going to tell you because your posture is not right and you're challenging me, okay, God, I'm, I, I accept that. I'm not going to tell you because your attitude is not right. I've got to accept that. God's answer to why is almost never understood unless you have a tender heart. Can I say this? Using sachet, what emotion should Joseph be feeling at this point? When his brothers come in and demand he forgives them because daddy told him to. What emotion do you think a normal individual would have? Probably anger. Probably anger. Verse 20. Joseph continues. As for you guys, this is now, we're not talking about God anymore. As for you guys, you meant evil against me. That's, bla- that's plain. But God meant it for what church? Good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph was fortunate enough to get an answer for, for why he went through 17 years of hell. He got his answer. When the brothers showed up, he realized God had him to save his family and the nation of Israel. And so he answers them. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. 
Joseph has already dealt with the why questions, and he's decided to let God be God, and he'll be Joseph, used however God wants him to be used. The honest question, though, is not, why did God allow Joseph to go through all the pain at this time? The honest question is this, Joseph, tell me, how are you able to love these scoundrel brothers with this kind of sincerity? The question is not, why did Joseph go through this? The question is, how can this individual forgive these scoundrels? That's the real question. And he does so by gracing them, by disarming them, and taking their fear away. Look what he says next in verse 21. This blows me away. So do not fear. He says it again. I will, what is it, what is the verse? I got to hear you say it, because I can't believe this. So do not fear. Let's read together. I will provide for you and your little ones. Come on. These, these little children that have been brought up by these scoundrels and all the bad habits that they're going to get from these guys. I mean, these guys, we, we skipped over a bunch of stuff that these guys did. Their own dad gave them final blessings by reminding them of what losers they were, and if they didn't get right with God and they didn't make it right, they'd ruin all of their kids. Do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. For those of you that are dads, if you thought to yourself, I could die because this guy has the power to do it, and I've done bad. I've done bad by him. How would it feel to you to not only receive forgiveness from this guy, but also to receive promises that, hey, listen, you're going to be fine, and I'm going to provide for your kids? Wouldn't that be an awesome gift? Joseph has a tenderized heart. Have you ever tenderized meat before? You just beat the living daylights out of it, right? You can't do it on your kitchen counter because that, that's going to give way. I take mine out on a block, put it on concrete, and just tear at it. And you, you just beat at it. Why do you beat at it? Because once it's tenderized, you can tear it easily, right? You can put spices on it. It'll absorb more spices. It's easier to cut, easier to chew. Whatever you plan on doing with this meat is going to be bad news for the meat, you got to beat it so that you can tear it and, and rip it up. A tender heart simply means that you'll be cut more easily and get hurt more quickly. Well, that's hard to hear, isn't it? You have a tender heart. It means you're going to care more. You care more. You're going to get hurt more. Tender heart means that you're going to be cut more easily, you'll get hurt more quickly. But listen, church, it also means you will be able to receive more love from God than you ever thought possible. Those spices that God pours into your life, you will absorb those. And you'll realize you can be a different person if you allow God to tenderize your heart. Joseph has been getting familiar with letting God be God for the last 17 years of his life. When the brothers first showed up in Genesis 45, this is what he said to them. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. He recognized them. They didn't recognize him. Remember way back in Genesis 47? And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. I can just imagine how their hearts probably dropped. We're dead. We're dead. We're dead. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me here before you to preserve life. Listen, church, that's a tender heart. That's a tender heart. That's a heart that's been beat up and recognizes God is bigger than we sometimes give him credit for. He said to them, I had to go through it so that I could be the kind of person I need to be so God could have something amazing done in your lives and my life right now. Living by faith requires a tender heart. And by the way, church, it is the only way to overcome a hard heart. I don't know women very well. I'm doing well in the course. I'm getting there. Uh, I've, I've been involved with women my whole life. Sisters, you know, different different women that I've worked with, I have a wife, I have, I have, I have uh, little children, 
uh, not so little anymore, but <laughs> women, they would say that I'm still, I still have a large learning curve <laughs> in the understanding women category. But this one thing I know, for all you guys out there, you're probably thinking to yourself, no, I got women figured out. Okay, all right. So let's just ask the women a question, all right? Ladies, I'm curious to know how you would, I think I know how you would answer this, but I'd like to find out from you if I'm on the right track or not. So ladies, all you ladies out there, men, this is not for you. Men, you, you may think you know the answer to this, but the ladies definitely do. Ladies, would you rather live with a man who has a hard heart or a tender heart? Ah, all right, I was right. Uh, uh, all right, tender heart, right? Uh, all right, let's, let's do the men just because we, we need to be fair. The Monopoly game is out now where the women get 250 for passing go and the men get 200 for passing go. If you want to buy that, it's online. Feminist website, you can pick that up, yes. Uh, so let's give men equal time here, all right? Village Church Chiefs, we want to be equal. We're equal. Uh, men, uh, we'll give you a moment, all right? So ladies... Uh, no, men, 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 would you rather live with a woman who has a hard heart or a tender heart? I know how I'd answer this question. How would you? <laughs> yeah. Do you need some time to think about it? You need a few moments? Maybe the sachet needs to come up and you're scared to answer. I get that. I totally get that. So guys, you would like to live with a woman who has a tender heart. Okay, good. So we're on the same page. Children. So let's just, let's take it, let's... Think outside of the box. We're beyond men and women here. Okay, so kids, if you rank in the quality and qualification of a, of a person that is a young adult or a young person, all right? We'll just lump you all together. Not that you're all the same age. You have different feelings and emotions. I know you're all valuable. We'll, we, okay, so, but I'm curious to know, if you're a younger person, would you rather live with parents or a guardian who has a hard heart or a tender heart? No answers. Do you need time? Need time? Do you want this to be a take-home test? Is that what you're used to? Uh, so what would you like? Tender heart. All right. Good. 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 Oh, let's do one more. How, most of you have jobs. Some of you are still praying for some, and we're praying for you too. But uh, so so most of us have have jobs, um, or we have bosses. Even even though we do part-time jobs, right? We have bosses. How many of you who work for other people would you rather your boss have a hard heart? Or a tender heart? Giving heart. <laughs> giving heart, that's right. <laughs> a rich boss who has a giving heart. All right, I'll give you that one, all right. But in order to be giving, you've got to be tender, right? Yeah, otherwise you've got Ebenezer Scrooge, and we all know how that turned out. So, yeah, he wasn't giving. He learned to be, but he wasn't. Can I just point out something that's really simple to see? Every person on the planet would like to deal with somebody with a tender heart. The hardest thing for us, though, is we love having personal hard hearts. It's more fun. People, listen, people grow hard hearts for one main reason. It keeps them from getting hurt. It keeps them from getting cut. But it is not God's plan for life. People grow hard hearts to protect them from getting cut and hurt, but God's answer to life is a tender Heart, even, even though it's not natural. This is God's plan for us. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and on and on and on, negative things, be put away from you along with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another. What's the next word, church? Tender hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Bitterness will make a different person out of you. Satan will use everything he can to get you bitter because if he can get you bitter, he can make your heart hard. And then comes along wrath, anger, slander, and all, slander, and all these malicious ways to live life. But tenderization will turn you into a living example of Jesus Christ in this world. And let me tell you, a tender heart is such a rare thing. It rocks everybody's world when they see it. Tenderness will help you live kindness. It'll help you be tender to one another. It'll give you the ability to forgive things or people that are seemingly unforgivable. Even sc scoundrels. Now you might be sitting here saying, okay, Craig, give me four steps to having a tender heart. 
<laughs> so I've, I've, I actually have two things for you at this point. And, and there's good news and bad news. It's easy and it's not easy. I'll, I'll give you the, the bad news first. It's not easy. If you want to learn tenderness, you've got to be in situations where you are tenderized. If you're a believer, the good thing is this is within your grasp. God will make you tender to others so that you can identify with them better. I mean, think of the people in the Bible. David realized the depravity of his own heart when rebuked by his pastor Nathan for his rebellion. Peter had to come face to face with his real person. He was all talk and no action. And because of that, his heart grew hard. He denied Jesus three times. And he had to be tenderized on the beach when Jesus showed up to forgive him. Paul begged to have a thorn taken out of his life three times. He asked God, whatever the thorn was, we're never told, but it was a pain in his life and kept him from doing ministry. Three times he begged God to take this thorn out of his side. And three times God said, no, I'm not going to do it. And he had to be tenderized through that thorn to be the person that Paul needed to be. Job, do I need to explain Job to you? (laughs) When we get tenderized, we become more like Jesus Christ. All right, just leave that up there for a second, Josh. When, When I was... Oh, this was maybe, maybe 15 years ago. I, I didn't realize it, but I was cultivating a hard heart. Here's the weirdest, this may not apply to you, you may think to yourself, Craig, you're off your rocker, you've, you've lost it, you're, you're, you're crazier than we give you credit for, and I, I believe that. But let me tell you what happened to me. About 15 years ago, I went to a Christmas play. While I was at the play, they did the, the presentation of Jesus. They incorporated the gospel, the birth of Jesus, and all of that. And it was wonderful. It was so well done. It was a big auditorium. There was thousands of people there. It was amazing. And I look around me, and everybody's just crying. like It was a climactic moment, and the people are crying and everything. And I didn't shed a tear. I just watched it. I go, yeah, that's, that's, that's what happened. Yep. Eh, they took some liberties here and there. I would have done that. Let me, let me rearrange some of their theology. Sure, I got like critical of the whole thing. But it didn't affect me here. And it was at that moment in that weird situation that I became aware of the fact that I was getting a hard heart. I was presented with the story of the gospel through the birth of Jesus Christ and it didn't affect me in the least. And I became convicted. Again, this may not apply to you. You may think to yourself, Craig, it's only a play. I get it. But for me, it was more than that. And I began to pray something I'd never prayed before. I began to pray every day that God would tenderize my heart. You know what God did? He tenderized the heck out of my heart. I immediately got into situations where nothing I did worked. You've got to know, from somebody who can fix the world, that's a bad place to be. You give me a problem, I'll fix it for you. That's, that's the kind of guy God created me to be. That's a guy. Yeah, it's a guy I think. But for me, it's like multiplied a thousandfold. I couldn't fix anything. Family situations came up, never planned on, couldn't believe happened. Stuff that was crazy, couldn't fix it. Situations at work, stuff happened, couldn't fix it. I couldn't fix anything. And God began to take his little hammer of grace and pound on my hard heart until I realized I needed to hand these things over to Jesus and let him deal with them and I'll just continue to be the person he needs me to be in this situation and this situation this situation and within a very short amount of time I found myself on my knees on a regular basis literally on my knees weeping crying out to God because there's stuff I couldn't fix but I knew he could. I began to realize I had to let God have control because I couldn't fix stuff. My prayers began to change. I began to say, help me, Lord, to love people who are difficult to love. I began to say, Lord, help me to realize you can fix this and I can't. I began to say, Lord, you see the bigger picture and I can't, so help me to do what I need to do today and not get frustrated and angry. And you know what changed in me? (laughs) I began to cry at everything at the drop of a hat. (laughs) It was the weirdest thing. Beth actually thought about maybe calling some help, some some (laughs) counseling help, because I had never cried before. But I began to be so tenderized, I began to cry over stuff. 
Stuff that I'd see on TV. So that's the not easy part. If you want to learn a tender heart, you can have it, but you've got to want it. The easy part is this. If you want to learn tenderness, you can start today. Pray to God and he will deliver and give you the Holy Spirit kind of power in your life. <laughs> you can have a tender heart. This is the outcome that you will be more like Jesus every day. Listen to the kind of person Jesus was in 1 Peter 2.21. For this you have been called. That's to all of us. Church, for this, to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you. We're starting a, a series in 1 Peter. We're going to talk about the suffering church it's going to be amazing. I can't wait to get into it. We've already started doing our study for it. Love the direction we're going. This is chapter 2 of 1 Peter. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You know what that means? Christ's heart was tenderized. And he didn't put the Father on trial. He simply said, your will be done, not mine. If you're not a believer, when you're tenderized, you'll always struggle with a hard heart. Your first question out of your mouth will always be, why? Why me? Why this? Why now? It'll always be why. Hard, hard people can't get over the why. Tenderized people... If you're learning to be tenderized as a Christian, your question will be different. It'll say, what place, God, do you have for me in what you're doing here? The one thing I want you to remember is this. Anger hardens, but tenderness transforms. We all know this principle deep down, right? A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Hard, hard hearts make more hard hearts, but soft hearts? When Joseph cried in front of his brothers, their response was, we are your servants. You'll need the help of God to get here. I want to encourage you guys, operate life with a tenderized heart, first to God and then to others. Lastly, I want to tell you, remember the way we started this conversation this morning? Well, more one-sided conversation, really. The book of Genesis is a glimpse into the whole Bible. It's not only a, a book of 50 verses. It's a book that kind of tells you what you're in for when you read the rest of the books in the Bible. Genesis is kind of like a, a template for what happens from Genesis to Revelation. Genesis 1 to 50 is like a template for what happens from Genesis to Revelation. Over 2,000 years of human life covered. 93 years just for the story of Joseph. Joseph's experiences and conclusion to his life is meant for us to reflect on the, entire, on the entire book. People act poorly. All is lost sometimes. And sometimes even the good guys suffer. But in the end, God wins. This is true in Joseph's life. This is true in the book of Genesis. And this is true in the story of the whole Bible. Life may seem chaotic and God may seem absent, but God is always in control. And his people always have an essential place to play for his plan in the world. The nation of Israel was saved. This dysfunctional family was saved through a tenderized old man. One person did make the difference. Reading Genesis, listen, should make you love reading the Bible more. You will never probably get a sit down with God. And if you do, I'd love to talk to you about it. We must learn to be comfortable with, I'm not in the place of God. Like Joseph said, I'm not in the place of God. But I know in the end, God wins. And I'm invited to have an essential role in what God is doing here, now. In the end, God wins. And you can be a part of making a big difference in this world for his glory. I want to remind you of how God wins with this final verse. You fast forward to Revelation, and here's the verse that you come across in Revelation 21, verse 1. End of the book. After chaos and rebels, after disappointments and thieves, after betrayal, after these church takes over the world, after 
and changes the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ after Jesus reveals himself, after all of the stories that we have in Scripture from the apostles and the prophets and all of the promises. This verse is what God leaves us with. Revelation 21, verse 1. To those of you that need an answer, I remind you of the promise. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Didn't you love that? We don't go to dwell with God. God comes to dwell with us. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things of life have passed away. This means God wins. If you want to be a part of the story now, the only way to do it is to have a tender heart. Let God be God. Don't put him on trial. You just be the kind of person he needs you to be through the journey. Father, I'm grateful that we get to finish up the book of Genesis today with this powerful passage. It's a good reminder to us to deal with people constantly that we can look at them and we can say, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Thank you that you are in that much control. Thank you that in Romans 8, you remind us all things work together for good to those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. And so, Father, we don't look for our lives to get better. We look for our lives to be more faithful. Teach us how to live by faith. Teach us how to have tender hearts first to you and what you're doing and then to others around us. And in this way, Father, I pray that you would help your church to be tenderized so that we can forgive one another as you, through Christ, forgave us. Thank you for Joseph and for what we've learned through his life. May we now live it out as humble servants in Jesus' name. Amen.